Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. If you weren't aware, that big shiny thing in the sky is the sun. After so much rain, isn't it a nice change? I want to say a special word of welcome to anyone joining us online. We are grateful for your presence as well as anyone who's visiting with us today. We are honored that you would take time to be here this morning. Uh, Several announcements for you. The first is to, as always, direct your attention to our beautiful flowers and encourage you when the service is over uh, to take those with you. Let them brighten your day or somebody else's. Uh, You will have to beat the kids to them, um, but they are lovely and do please take them and enjoy them. Also, if you would, pass the worship registry down your row so we have a record of your attendance. Uh, And then a couple of... uh, Upcoming events I want to remind you of. These are on your insert. The first is our Mardi Gras party that will be here at the church on the 19th, 6 p.m. You will get more information about that this week. That's for everyone, not just kids. So parents, kids, people whose kids are up and grown, whoever, please come. Make sure to attend that. And then Wednesday, the 22nd, will be our Ash Wednesday service here at the church. Uh, And I hope you'll make plans to attend that as well. And then a couple of notes about our, um, uh, our worship today. Uh, kids, as always, I want you to come up after that first hymn and sit on the stairs with me, and we'll have our children's message. Um, and then we had a bit of a miscommunication in the office this week, so the gospel lesson you see listed is actually incorrect. So the correct gospel is Matthew 6, verses 17 through 15, and then 19 through 21. Uh, Patrin will be reading for us. She has it ready, so y'all don't need to worry about it. How this affects you is that we have also decided to change that middle hymn because what we were going to sing doesn't make a lot of sense with this particular gospel lesson. So the middle hymn will be hymn 23. There is a wideness in God's mercy that should be familiar enough to you, and I will remind you of that again before we get there. So, middle hymn is number 23, and the gospel lesson is Matthew 6. And now with that said, I think those are all the announcements, let's take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath to give ourselves a chance to be present here in worship. Worship is different than any other time during the week. It is special and precious and something we really need to be thoughtful about. So take that deep breath. Let it calm your mind and quiet your heart. Let that to-do list slip away, if only for an hour. Stop worrying about the homework that might not be done or the laundry that's never done. As you breathe in, breathe in the joy of being in a good, safe place with people who love you just as you are. As you breathe out, breathe out those things that would distract you or weigh you down. Breathe in again, know that you are loved by our creator. And then let us worship God together. Mara, would you come offer our minute permissions, please? Thank you. All are welcome. I was really proud to see that addition to the Northminster sign on loop, and I want you to invite you to act out that promise. So this Minute for Missions is brought to you by Asylum Seekers at Richwood Detention Center, a for-profit prison. Often when I watch the news about gang violence and the cholera epidemic in Haiti, the ever-increasing suffering from climate disasters, 
and government death squads abroad, I feel humbled because the accident of birth put me in this country. I did nothing to deserve this, as many of those seeking safety and a better future in the U.S. did nothing to deserve their situations. But these crises give us the priceless opportunity to show kindness and support for persons in critical need. There are many ways you can help by not even leaving your home. The bulletin has a list of needs that the volunteers will distribute as required. If you volunteer to be a driver, you can even meet them and see the gratitude and relief on their faces. Bread cast upon the water does come back to you. I'm happy to report that I was already gifted a heavy-duty clothes rack to replace the previous rack so that I can store clothing items as they come in. If the weather settles down, I can store items not needed until next winter. The generous donations from last year have already been distributed, and last month I sent a poor Egyptian man to Buffalo, New York, with only a stocking cap, gloves, a scarf, and a windbreaker for three days before that blizzard. How I wish I also had a warm coat for him, and I bet he did too. Many of us will be sorting through our clothing now as part of spring cleaning. Please set aside gently used clothing, especially small and medium sizes for men, and consider buying the hygiene items listed in the bulletin. Sadly, people are often kept in prison simply because they don't yet have a ticket for transportation. So if you have frequent flyer miles that are waiting for a good use, please consider donating them to milesformigrants.org the website's in the bulletin. As it says in Matthew 25:40, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. All are welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mara. Now would you all please join me in our call to worship as we begin our service this morning. The living word speaks. Pointing toward the narrow gate. The living word calls. Use your energy where it matters for good. The living word promises. God is the giver of every good gift. Come to hear and follow the living word.
Please be seated. Hello, my young friends. How are you? Does everybody have a good week? Are we glad the rain is over? Yeah, me too. So we are now in the month of February. Can anybody tell me why February is special? What do you think, Ricky? Why is it special? Because it's Mardi Gras. It's Mardi Gras. That's special. It's Valentine's. It's almost Valentine's. There's something else that happens in February. Anybody know? It is Black History Month. Y'all talked about that at school or with, with your parents? Okay, well, we're going to talk about it here at church. Uh, February is Black History Month, and I thought we could talk this month about some famous or very important black Baptists in history. So I want to tell you about one really special lady. Her name was Nanny Helen Burroughs. And she lived back in the 1800s, so it was quite a long time ago. But she was an activist and an advocate, and she was a pastor. She was a religious leader. Now, here's her picture. This is Nanny Helen Burroughs. Everybody see her? Yep, she's looking at you from the picture, isn't she? Now, she was born in the 1870s, and she wanted to open her own school. She wanted to help other poor, uneducated African-American women, but she needed help. So she went to a group called the National Baptist Convention, and they believed in her. They thought what she wanted to do was really good and important, so they purchased six acres of land in northeast Washington, D.C. for her school. Do you know where Washington, D.C. is? Yeah, that's where the president lives. It's where lots of monuments and memorials and museums are. It's a really neat city. You learned that in school? Good. And then after they helped, her, helped uh, Nanny buy the land um, through lots of donations from other black women and from children in the community, Nanny had enough to open what she called the National Training School for Women and Girls, which is a really big deal to open her own school. In addition to that, she also advocated for greater civil rights for African-American men and women, especially women. Civil rights are just the rights that make us all equal in this country. And at that time, uh, black women in particular didn't have a lot of choices for jobs. There weren't a lot of jobs they could do. Um, a lot of them were maids or they were cooks, but Nanny wanted more opportunities for black women. She also wanted black women to be able to vote, because at that time, that wasn't usually allowed. Did you know that? No. Yeah, there was a time in our country when black folks were not allowed to vote, and Nanny wanted to help them, especially black women. So she worked and was what was called a suffragette. That's a woman who helps other women be able to vote. And eventually, black women in particular were able to vote. It took a long time, but Nanny was really helpful in that. And then she went to the very first Baptist World Alliance meeting, and that's a group that still exists today, the Baptist World Alliance. They met in London in 1905. Do you all know where London is? London is in England. It's across the ocean, and Nanny went all the way to London, and she gave a speech called A Women's Part in the World's Work. Uh, and it was a really, really important speech. Now, Nanny lived a long life. She did a lot to help people, especially other black women. 
I, like I said, she started a school, she was a leader, and it's important that we know about her. So I want you to remember Nanny this week. I want you to remember that we should all have equal rights and that if you believe in something really strongly like she did, you can probably do it if you ask for help. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Now, here comes your part. I want you to turn around, face the congregation, hands in your laps, turn around, face the congregation, face the, the grown-ups out there, hands in your laps, sit up nice and tall. All right, here we go. I will say the first line of our prayer. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adults, you are welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. A reading from Psalm chapter 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praises. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength.
the God of gods will be seen in Zion. A word from the psalmist for us today. Let's pray together. You love us into a new way of being, O God. From the beginning, your love has transformed from chaos into clarity, from wilderness to flourishing, from death to life. We thank you for your grace that meets us and calls us, fills us and guides us today. And today we offer ourselves to you in gratitude for your teaching and trust that you will receive our commitment and use it for your glory. We know, Lord, that you know us better than we know ourselves, that you hear us before we can even ask. And when we don't quite know what to say, your spirit intercedes for us. So we come today searching, asking, knocking on behalf of our neighbors and the world around us. We ask your mercy for those who have been judged harshly and felt the sting of betrayal, for those who have been given a short measure and expected to make due, for those who have been taught that they will never be good enough to join in. May they experience your unconditional love. We ask your mercy, too, for those whose default attitude is judgment, those who will not choose the good measure for others and so cannot receive it themselves, those whose vision is so obscured by self-righteousness that their world has closed in. May they, too, experience unconditional love and discover the possibilities of a new way. We ask your spirit of companionship for those who have had to learn to depend on only themselves or on one or two others and whose relationships are strained by that weight. May they learn the blessing of interdependence, practicing the image of your triune life. We ask your spirit of empathy for those struggling to love others as themselves, for those whose self-image or self-confidence is so low they don't know how to love, for those who can't imagine how others want to be treated, and for those who have been marginalized, oppressed, and abused until they no longer want to try. May they be blessed with compassion, with a listening ear and an open heart, and imagination to see your image in themselves and others. We ask your spirit of courage and peace for those who are in the midst of the storm, for those surrounded by violence and who feel unmoored by grief. May they be strengthened and empowered to embody your promise in this life. And finally, we ask your spirit of truth for this, your church, called to be Christ's body, to build on a firm foundation and to carry on Christ's work. May we be honest with ourselves and with you and choose to walk the narrow road that leads to life, that all may see your hand guiding and your love reflecting through us into this world. We ask these things and all things in the name and authority and love of Christ. Amen. And now let us stand together and sing hymn 23.
not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. say thank you to Patrin for at the very last minute uh, switching over and reading a different gospel lesson than she had practiced and to our choir and to Debbie uh, who was not feeling well this morning so went home to take care of herself uh, for making the necessary changes to our music thank you for being flexible I very much appreciate it all right let's say a prayer together Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Now, you've probably heard of the, the television show Hoarders, yes? Have you heard of the show? Um, it's pretty popular. It's been on TV a while. Uh, by some estimates from the research I did, there are about 3 million compulsive hoarders in this country, which is particularly saddening because this is a mental health issue, and it often needs for the really bad cases, some pretty serious therapy, maybe even medication. It feels a little wrong, in my opinion, to watch people with this mental health struggle on their worst day as they often try and sometimes fail to clean out their hoard. And yet, I have seen almost every episode of Hoarders. Uh, I feel guilty about it, but uh, our daughter, Robin, she and I, this is what we watched together during the pandemic. Um, both of us deal with anxiety, so we could only watch about three episodes at a time, and then we had to take a break. But it was a pandemic. There wasn't anything else to do, so we would take a break and come back and watch three more episodes. Uh, I am not a hoarder, um, but I am a bit of a pack rat. I have long fought against my tendency to keep things, particularly of sentimental value. Um, for example, I was cleaning out a purse the other day, and found a ticket stub from something in Germany where Eric went for our, anniversary, or our honeymoon. I don't know what it is, but I've kept it all these years. 
Now, to be clear, I don't have like some sort of underground hidden vault with rare golds and gems. I don't have Van Gogh's or Monet's tucked away. I have a few nice pieces of jewelry that were my grandmother's that I have inherited. The biggest thing for me of value is that I recently got rid of all but one of my Disney VHS tapes. And they were originals from the early 90s. I'm told I could have resold them, but I don't have the energy for such things. So on the whole, the things of value that I own are only valuable to me. They are my personal treasures. A VHS that I cannot play, I don't have a VHS player, of my senior year of high school in our uh, band drill competition. Again, I cannot play it, but I have it. Uh, my baby blanket that I have sewn back together multiple times. A container full of my great-grandfather's letters. He wrote them to my grandmother. They are in his handwriting. Um, they are written on the back of Illinois Central System station baggage waybills <laughs> because my great-grandfather worked for the railroad. I have a paper menu from one of the restaurants Eric and I ate at while we were on our honeymoon. And I can honestly say, however, that when we moved here to Louisiana, uh, that really made me consider what was valuable and what I was willing to move across the country. When we moved to Pennsylvania, most of our possessions had been in storage. We had had to live with family for a little while and while I was looking for a job, and, and we just shoved everything in a storage unit and didn't purge at all. So then we moved all of that to Pennsylvania into a bigger home and, of course, added more stuff to fill the bigger home. And so when we moved here, we had a lot of stuff. Uh, we made a lot of trips to the thrift store up there. We got rid of quite a bit of, of, of the things we really didn't need. Some of that was out of necessity. Our little rental house here is considerably smaller than the parsonage in Pennsylvania was, and y'all don't have basements. Um, you can put a lot in a basement to get, get it out of the way. But this was also as a way to more intentionally practice Jesus' teachings when it comes to earthly treasure. As a reminder, this is what Jesus says in that text. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasures in heaven where it's safe for moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. That's from the message translation. Of course, Jesus is talking primarily about wealth, about riches the world tends to value the most. I, as I said, have very little of that sort of treasure. Burglars would have no interest in those family letters or cinnamon, my stuffed golden retriever from when I was a kid. And yet, my treasures can still possess my heart. Now, this morning's reading comes in the center chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, as we've talked about before. Sermon on the Mount is Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And though we only read a portion, it is important to understand the entire context of this chapter. Beyond being in the middle of Jesus' longest sermon... Chapter 6 specifically highlights three religious practices common to first-century Judaism that continue to be practiced today. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. The reference to one's heart 
uh, to one's heart being where one's treasure is comes in the context of Jesus preaching and teaching. And what I mean by that is that with this passage and comment on worry specifically, Jesus sets up the tension around stewardship and generosity. This tension falls in terms of where one's devotion lies, potentially suspended, as it were, between the two magnetic poles that tend to pull us, the two masters of our lives. These two poles are the earthly and the heavenly, that which is of God or that which is not. You cannot serve God in wealth, in other words. And of course, this tension, this pull between the world and heaven, causes us to worry. Worry about our lives, our food and drink, our clothing. Worry about having enough. As I said, I'm someone who lives with anxiety, and I am a championship worrier. I would win every competition. And so when I read these verses, I can't imagine living a life without worry. And for those of you who are capable of turning your brains off at night and just going to sleep, what does that feel like? It has to be nice. What is it like to go through life without finding your anxiety right about here all the time? That's where mine lives. Is your life easier than mine, or are you then caught off guard in ways I'm not? Because I am always prepared for the worst-case scenario. I honestly can't imagine life without being worried. I've told you, I think, I think I've told you before that the, when there's nothing going on in my life to worry about, I worry about that. <laughs> I wait for the other shoe to drop and for life to get messed up. It's a terrible cycle. But here's what I've learned about worry, specifically anxiety. Anxiety is a liar. Fear can sometimes be helpful, even life-saving. Planning ahead is a good habit. But anxiety, anxiety puts your brain on high alert when there is no need. And worrying rarely fixes a problem and can often make the situation worse. And what Jesus is telling us in these verses is that worry can threaten to separate us from God. Worrying about money does separate us from God, in part because it can take so many forms. Too much time earning, too much time managing, too much time spent on the spendable, too much time fretting over what is enough and even what to do with what we already have, and on and on and on it goes. Think for a moment about what worries you most about your money. Is it possible that worry affects your relationship with God? Think more broadly. How does your worry affect your awareness of and efforts toward not only your relationships, but economic justice? Because as commentator Carl Jacobson notes, worry can separate us from our God and choke out our generosity. Now, I think the most galling part of the packing process is realizing how much stuff I didn't remember having. How much stuff was sitting around that I hadn't looked at in years? We lived in that house for four years. I didn't remember half of those things. Why was I holding on to them? Well, when I examine myself, I I figure that out. Part of it is that I grew up without a bunch of money. Uh, My mother is a teacher. My father is a social worker, now a social work professor. 
And much of my childhood, we lived paycheck to paycheck. I remember in one season of our lives eating a lot of pasta and baked potatoes. And, and none of that is a criticism of my parents. I never wanted for anything that I really, really needed. But I did hear the phrase, not today, quite often. And we tended to use things for as long as possible before replacing them. I remember the rag bag my mom would toss old clothes into, and my dad would then use those rags to do things around the house, wash the car, clean up spills in the garage, that sort of thing. We also always had a box of gift bags and boxes stored in the closet for present wrapping purposes. I see some heads shaking. Grew up with this too. Uh, Eric, for, who grew up with money, both his parents are in the medical field, uh, found that very strange when we got married. <laughs> and he found my continuation of that habit even stranger. And I have to tell you, this isn't in here, but I thought I'd mention it. One of the hardest things when we were moving was when I decided to let go of all of my bags. <laughs> we simply could not move them. And I went and stood at the trash can, and it took me a good 15 minutes, arguing back and forth with myself about whether or not I would throw these away. I did, and I cried. It, it just triggered something emotionally in me that I had to throw all these bags away. And now I don't have any, so I have to go buy one. Anyway, Eric thought I was crazy. I think the other reason I've held on to so much over the years is because I want to hold on to those pleasant memories, those things rekindle. The people I have loved who are no longer with me, personal accomplishments, memorable events, special places. I suppose I fear that I will lose the meaning of those things if I don't have something to concentrate on and to prove that I was there and that it happened. A commentator I read this week talked about a scientific study done several years ago in which electric stimulus were applied to various parts of a subject's brain. When the electricity flowed, a memory stored in that particular part of the brain was replayed almost like a movie in the subject's mind. The sound, the smells, all the feelings came back as the scene replayed itself. Reading that description made me wonder what it would be like to relive a memory. It's interesting to think about some of those memories when Eric proposed. Walking into this sanctuary when you voted to call me as your pastor, finding out I was pregnant. Of course, there are other memories I absolutely would not relive, and the description in the study didn't really make it clear if the participants got to pick which memory they would go back to. Which makes me think, do I really want to relive all of my memories? Or would I rather live my life now with more meaning and create new memories for the future and for eternity? If we hold on to our treasures too tightly, we are, in a sense, forcing ourselves to constantly be looking back, protecting what has already been, and expending precious energy on something that's already happened. This tendency has the potential to keep us from being present and reaching out to those who are around us in the here and now. It can keep us from looking toward the future and living in a way that leads us in a positive direction, that leads us in Christ's direction. Now, don't get me wrong. I think holding on to memories and mementos of our lives, it's not a bad thing. I will not be tossing out my great-grandfather's letters. But there is something wrong 
when we need those things in order to feel good about ourselves, when we take our value from things, from memories, from prior accomplishment, rather than living into the life that is happening right now and that is just ahead of us. One of my favorite preachers and writers is a woman named Lillian Daniel. Um, She wrote about this a, a bit in a passage about Matthew. A New York Times article about the demand for expensive condos in Manhattan explained. Seemingly every week, prices reach new heights, and the latest is a uh, triplex penthouse on Park Avenue that is listed, if you're ready for this, for $130 million. Bidding wars have become so common that that's not particularly exceptional. Yet some market experts predict that the tide will turn. If too many luxury apartments are built, they may not be enough, there may not be enough buyers willing to pay for them. That prompted one developer, a man named Adam Gordon, to shift his focus. Rather than developing luxury dwellings, he's chosen to take an 11-story building on 61st Street and convert it into luxury, a luxury storage facility. <laughs> a luxury storage facility. According to the Self-Storage Association, there are 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage across our country. Outside towns, on highways, those warehouses are ubiquitous. We have them all over Monroe. Storage pods get loaded up in people's driveways when they're trying to sell their houses. They have to hide their junk to entice a buyer. But luxury storage space in the priciest real estate market of Manhattan? Who knew? If you put your stuff in a storage facility and you find out that you can live without it, maybe you really can live without it. So here's a radical thought from Jesus. Don't store it in the first place. Because somewhere in the world, there is a person who really needs the thing that you're about to lock away in a box. Sell it, swap it, share it, give it away. You don't need more storage. You need less stuff. My friends, the good news this morning is that Jesus invites us to stockpile treasures in heaven because the place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Jesus calls us not to worry about money, and both of those things are easier said than done. So how do we do these seemingly impossible things? First, we consistently work on living lives that are oriented toward following the way of Jesus. This means choosing to go against the grain of society, which is oriented toward success, production, buying the newest and the best the day it launches, and doing that instead of living lives that serve other people. This means continuing to be a congregation that serves others, not just with money, though that is important, but with our time, our energy, our dedication, and being creative in the approach. Second, this means taking the time to own our wealth, not let it own us, and own our privilege, while also admitting our worries about money and what those mean for us personally and corporately. It doesn't feel good, but it's necessary. Finally, stockpiling treasure in heaven and not worrying about money is about knowing where to put our trust. 
not in ourselves, not even in our abilities and our talents, even our hard work, but in God. It takes time. It's hard work. It's not going to happen overnight. So in the meantime, ask yourself, where do you most want to be? In a past you cannot relive or change? Or in the present, creating a life within the reign of God right now? A life of loving service that will have eternal consequences? And a life that will ensure that you end up being where you want to be? As we begin this time of communion, we do so like the Magi, as we are still in the season of Epiphany. We come to this table asking for the child, wondering where that love has been born, seeking joy that may satisfy our thirst, wandering through the darkness of our past mistakes. We have come to this place where Magi and shepherds and first-time parents have met. We have come to this place called Bethlehem, 
to this place where our hearts rise like yeast, to where we meet our newborn hope, to this place where we taste our deepest joy. There is something here that will satisfy our hunger, and no matter how long we have wandered, here our hearts arise. Our light has come. We also come to this table like John the Baptist, knowing that we aren't necessarily worthy to be in such proximity to the divine, knowing we aren't really holy enough to sit shoulder to shoulder with God. But that, my friends, is the good news of this table. That is its joy and its miracle. We are worthy, each of us, to be here. Each of us. With our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, and our grief, we are not just allowed to be here. We are not just tolerated. We are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted here. And we are beloved and claimed children of God. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. Here, there is always enough food, enough chairs, and enough leaves to be added for any who seek to sit around the table. Here, we honor creator and creation. We celebrate the table fellowship of Jesus. At this table, all are worthy and all are welcome. As we receive the fruits of the Spirit, we celebrate the communion of all things. Creator, Christ, and Spirit dance as one, so may it always be. Now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that he was handed over, while at supper with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. On that evening, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat all of you. This is my body, surrendered for you. And then in the same way, when supper was over, Jesus took a cup he gave thanks for it. He filled it with wine. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and drink, all of you. This is the seal of the new covenant, my poured out life. I will drink this cup with you again in the table of God's joy in the new day that is coming. And whenever you do these things, remember me.
be seated for me for just a minute. Uh, I have some joyful news to share with you, although it might surprise you. Um, the Cross family is coming to officially join this congregation. Now, I say that might surprise you because, like me, you probably assumed they were already members. Uh, so much a part of the fabric of our church as they are, uh, but they technically were not members and are coming to officially join, and we celebrate that, that Pearson and Lisa, uh, Elias and Lucy, um, are going to be part of our church officially. So we welcome you. We are thrilled by this news. Please make them feel loved and welcomed after the service. I think Elias is helping run the this, this streaming, which he does almost every week, which is wonderful. And Lucy has joined the choir, and it, they're just so much a part of this place. This is very good news. So we are thrilled. And now, hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world.